0: Welcome to the New Zealand International Film Festival podcast series. Today's Q&A follows the screening of Animals and is presented in association with Script to Screen. Animals director Sophie Hyde is in conversation with Robin Malcolm. Oh, it's great that you all stayed, guys. Thanks. I know it's it's late. How awesome was that film? How much fun was that film? (laughs) Um, whenever I do these I find that I ask too many questions and then I notice when there's only five minutes to go a lot of really annoyed people out there because I've gone on too much. So I'm going I'm to say right from up front start putting your hand up when you have a question um, so that we can, we can get them all in in the half hour space that we've got and um, We've been out on the town for the last hour and a half and I've been, try- <laughs> I've been trying not to ask Sophie questions about the film. And one of the, But one of the, the questions I did want to ask up front was, this is a, from a novel that was written about um, girls in Manchester made by an Australian and you chose to shoot it in Dublin.
1: So what's that journey about? Uh, yeah. Um yeah, look, the book was set in Manchester and um, when I signed on to do the movie, we were going to film in Manchester and um Emma the writer is, you know, full Manc proud like, you know, and and Holiday who's the lead is from Manchester as well. And so she came on because she knew the book and uh, she really wanted to do it. And but we couldn't raise the money from the UK and we just couldn't finance the movie. And so uh we They came to me with the proposition that we shoot in Dublin because we could raise money from Dublin, from um, Screen Island. And um, we already knew we were going to do an Australian-Irish co-production because I was Australian and a bunch of the crew we wanted to work with were Australian. Um, But uh, but we went to Dublin thinking, are we going to try and set it as though it's still in Manchester um, or are we going to reset it into Dublin? And then you turn up in Dublin and it's this very literary city and there's kind of poetry on every corner and everyone's drinking. And, and on top of that, there, is, there was Repeal the Eighth, which was the um, vote about uh, women's abortion rights and um, happening at the same time we were filming. And so we had a very strong feeling that Dublin was very political and, and there was lots of questions about what women could do with their bodies that were kind of very active questions. And that was something that Emma was really interested in. And so Dublin felt like this perfect city to reset the women. And then, of course, when you start to shoot somewhere like Dublin, the character of Dublin sort of infiltrates. And um, you don't want to sort of temper it. You know, you don't want to set it into a generic city. If Manchester was such a strong presence in the book, then Dublin became a really strong presence in the movie. And it transformed the visual style of the film, for sure. It's
0: interesting because the first thing I wrote, you know, when I I was watching your film was in, in the first five minutes, I thought, oh, God, this is a love letter to Dublin, not realising the history of it, because it really felt it's like you, you threw the city front and centre. So did the... Because um, I know that the, the novelist then wrote the screenplay, How, given the fact that... Because Manchester's got an amazing character to it as well but very different. So did the, did the screenplay shift away from the novel a lot because of the city change?
1: It shifted away from the novel anyway. In fact, when I was first sent a script, it was even further from the novel than what we ended up with. It was very much kind of trying to reject the idea of um, our novel and turn it into a movie. And uh, it was about a woman preparing for a wedding... Um, which is not what the book is about the book is a bit closer to what we have now and um, but I loved the book so much and there were things in the book that I loved so much particularly you know the sense of um, her loving the smell of things you know and there were these kind of very visceral kind of bodily qualities and so we were always trying to retain the ideas in the book rather than um, the story necessarily from the book so we spent ...a couple of years doing drafts. I think we did four or five drafts together, Emma and I. And it stayed in Manchester for all of those until we moved it. And then, yes, we had to kind of get in and dig around a bit. And then it, it kept changing even through the shoot. Like things like the salon scene, the poetry scene. That was a big event in the Manchester version. It was like in a pub, a pub event. And in Dublin it just kind of transformed into this salon setting. Like, um, And Dylan, who's singing... Um, ...was someone that we met there and I just... ...I thought that he really so needed to be in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, you know, the city kind of starts to infiltrate anyway... ...into the story.
0: Because you're out in it for... Like, you are on location the entire time, weren't you?
1: We we're on location and we were only there for three months. So, as... So, the cinematographer's are also Australian and um, a bunch of us are Australian... and ...but the production designer was from Dublin... And we had to kind of launch into the city and sort of fall in love with it and try and work out exactly where those women would be in that city, which is yeah. very different from the city that you're presented from the location managers and um, everyone that's trying to shoot Dublin as a very pretty romantic city. Tell me about the... I'm just going to make sure I'm not ignoring people who've got their hands up. Um,
0: the, the, the process from turning a, a novel into a film, because... Mm-hmm. I feel like what you've done really successfully and I've not read the novel but I've heard what people say about it is that you've turned a really good novel into a really good film and I've noticed that sometimes it's really bad books that make great films and people who try and turn great books into movies, they often fail. Mm. How, How tricky was that? I mean I guess you had you had a head start because you had the, the, the novelist writing a screenplay but then was this the first screenplay she'd written? It was,
1: yeah, it was her first screenplay and um, it was very freeing having her as the writer because we didn't have to, we were never going like what's the writer going to think, like what's the author going to think of what we do? You know we could throw all that out and she was very adaptable, flexible, she wanted to try things all the time um, and... Uh, so, you know, it was me that kept bringing back ideas from the book probably, you know, I, and I mean there's something very great about having a book as well as a script because the script is sort of like a blueprint over here and then the book has all this other stuff that you can draw on. So our rehearsal rooms and our production office had like quotes from the book and um, imagery from the novel, you know, all over it. So we had this whole other world. Um, in terms of adapting it, it is a different thing and um, this, the book is very sort of much in Laura's head and I, I did want to make sure that came out in the movie um, is that it was felt very much from a singular person's point of view and, um, but Emma wrote a lot of voiceover to begin with and we had voiceover in until the second to last draft I think and then finding a way for it to not be voiceover but to still feel like it was being told by Laura or it was her point of view was just a process of working through that.
0: And that must be an interesting process for a novelist, right? Because, you know, they can write three or four pages of beautiful prose and you can say, yeah, I can do all that in a shot. <laughs> so does that become a, a kind of quite a challenging process of letting go for the novelist?
1: She was really amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, she, she really went with us on this. I never felt that she was holding on to anything. Um, and, you know, I would be trying to draw back in text from the novel for sure into the dialogue. Um, but the, you know, the, um, the, the, the wedding shop
0: scene... Um, is is all of that dialogue from the novel, all that fantastic yeah. stuff that...
1: No, but that Emma, <laughs> that Emma, Emma says that dialogue all the Watch time. Watch the cupcakes. Sometimes yeah. Emma, like, you're just in the middle of a conversation about the film and she'll just start telling you something and you're like, that's the lines from the movie. <laughs> like, so she does. She sort of quotes her own movie without realising it. Because um, you, t- you <laughs> talked a lot
0: when we were out and about about collaboration and how important that is to you. Mm. And... Uh, and w- so so was this a collaborative like g- w- when did you come into the project were you did you read the book and go I want to make a movie about this or
1: the, actually the um, originating producer Sarah and Emma the writer sent me a draft and um, that draft script was a very early I think it was their first draft and um, I picked up the book the same day so I read that and the book on the same day and I suggested to them what I thought it should be and they said yes and um, then we worked together very closely. So Emma was always the writer but I responded kind of, we sat in a room for a couple of weeks working on it and deciding what we wanted it to be and then we redrafted across um, Skype uh, for a couple of years. Yeah. So, so she,
0: you were on other sides of the world doing, doing this. Yeah. The other thing that uh, Sophie told me while, while we were out was that, because, you know, there's that amazing chemistry between Laura and Tyler, Tyler. Tyler, you know, which the whole film hinges on is this kind of beautiful, subtle, like layers deep, kind of codependent, loving, chaotic friendship between two women... And they'd never met before you started filming, which I just think is fascinating. How did, how did you manage to find those two in the world?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a, it seems like quite a risk to do that. Everyone asks us, did you do chemistry tests and that sort of thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, Look, you know, Holiday is an actor that we'd watched in a lot of things and, she can't, you know, she's very much known as an English rose. She's done loads of period drama work and uh, plays a detective sometimes and, um, you know, both Alia and Holiday have been on screen since they were eight years old, so they've grown up on screen. Um, I just really liked the idea of seeing her in something very modern and, and much closer to herself than what I'd seen before and um, I always liked her work and so... She, I mean, I just asked, you know, we just had a conversation and she came on, you know. Um, with Alia, <laughs> we, I just loved, I mean, I'd watched her in Arrested Development and then seen a bunch of her other movies and she often is this kind of awkward, weird, character and um I and I felt like Tyler was very cool and interesting very much a with nail kind of character and I'd never seen her do anything like that we had this amazing Skype conversation where she had a little bit too much to drink um and she was very funny she said to me um oh, couples are so annoying you know when couples they sit there and they touch each other and they talk and stuff and she, and I just thought my god you're exactly like the character like and she's not actually but she just she has a part of her that she never gets to show and, and that part is is very Tyler but it was exciting to put them together because they seemed a bit surprising together um, and in terms of chemistry do we have that fear yeah you need a, a film like this to hold true the, the two leads I mean my I believe that Two actors, their job is to bring that chemistry, to create that chemistry. That's the craft that they um, are charged with. Um, And also I do a lot of work, a lot of rehearsals... ...loads of intimacy exercises, lots of tasks that I set them across Dublin... ...to get to know each other, to get to know the city... ...to get to know the other characters. And so we were all coming into another city and we were all meeting each other. So they just needed to build a shared history and they did that... And then, you know, they're consummate professionals. So they also create that beautiful chemistry. Um, I'm just going to look out here again. Has anyone got some questions?
0: I'm just going to repeat that question because we're being recorded. (laughs) What does the fox symbolise?
1: Different for different people. But um, for me, I was interested in... I should say that the fox was written into the scripts, but it was quite different sort of pro, uh, part of it. There was like a howling fox and fox eating a hamburger and a whole lot of things. The ending was the thing that um, I had pushed quite hard for, the fox. Um, but the fox for me is about an animal that is not completely wild. It's not out in the wilds, but it's not domesticated like the cat. It's a, a, an animal that's inside culture or inside society, but also free. And so uh, from I, that's – I felt that Laura was – the whole story was about her finding a freedom and a way of having that inside the world that she wants to live in rather than rejecting everything or being like the domestic cat, which for me is more like Tyler, which is in a place that's safe and um, comfortable. It's funny because I thought the fox was all about shame because w- of
0: the, the kind of the skulking nature of it and maybe that's just what I, you know, obviously what I brought to it. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I, one of the things I really loved about the film was, was this relationship that these young women had with shame mm. because they're, they're not... Bu- and it's interesting what you said to me about how the, the film was received in America that these women are behaving in ways which are not deemed as um, acceptable, you know. They drink too much, they drink too much white wine and they they behave in this unapologetic way which apparently in some societies still is a kind of a shameful way to behave. Mm. And I think that was one of the things that I really related to was how wonderfully flawed they both Mm. were and so this little fox, kind of moving around. <laughs> <laughs> well
1: amazingly, the fox and the cat. We always had the cat in the house, and we always had the fox out on the street. Yeah. And it was very hard to film them. Um, and we had we were sort of trying to film them like wildlife photography. And Brian, the cinematographer, was out all the time trying to get them. And we had a fox wrangler and the fox wouldn't do anything. It was just on this little lead and, you know... So, it was a tame fox. It wasn't... It's not tame. It was just not wild. <laughs> and um, But, we, you know, we were filming it on this street and um, uh, it was, like, all these doorways there and this woman just while we were all filming like this, this woman just opened the door with her cat in her arms and she had rollers in and a dressing gown on and she just, she saw the fox and she just threw her cat out and like shut the door. (laughs) And we were all like, oh my God, no. The fox, uh," like we didn't know what to do. We were all just frozen, like what's the fox gonna do? And the fox, you know, you've seen it. (laughs) It just sort of walks over and the cat sort of freaks out and then it just walks away. And we found out later that the fox grew up with cats (laughs) <laughs> thank goodness because and that was a different cat than the cat inside but they just looked the same so in the end it became part of the movie um but yeah we were terrified that you know and then suddenly while we were filming that these wild foxes were just down the street so we got to go and film them as well which was cool so
0: there are and this is the thing I still can't get my head around with you so there there are wild foxes that live right
1: in the center of there was wild foxes in Dublin, yeah, right. and lots of those big cities, you know, yeah. and they are around and, you yeah. know, you can see them, yeah. yeah. There was little families of foxes. Mm-hmm. How are we going? Are you, any questions? Us in Dublin. D- did Dublin sort of feed into that or...? I uh, just <laughs> asked about the drinking and drug thing. Would it you have worried. Been in, <laughs> in Manchester. Yeah, I mean, the book is, like, heavy. It's book is just hangover to hangover kind of thing. Um, Certainly, you know, the drug-taking culture in Manchester was pretty large in the novel. Um, And I guess it sort of felt a little different in Dublin. Like, you know, the scene where Jim is like, I'm not drinking, and the whole family's like, what? You know, Um, in Ireland that felt really real. (laughs) Like, everyone there was like, he's not drinking, you know. Maybe that wouldn't have been the same in Manchester but no, I think that drinking drug culture, the great thing about the women in the story and the way that it's told is I think it fits into loads of different places around the world and I know women all o- and men all over the world that really relate and feel like that's their life but it would tell itself differently, slightly differently in different places. So, you know, it might be that that would be in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, and so the, the the way that they play would would change a little bit, but they'd still be relatable, I think. The drugs are different; like it's a jar of MDMA, and um, in the UK, you know, MDMA powder is around, and in Australia, that's not around. We're we so much; we're tablets. <laughs> 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 I, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, just, uh, who's
0: who's my time check? We're, about seven minutes. How are questions going out here, or can I just keep going? Was that a question? No. There's one here. Oh, yes. Can you tell us the inspiration for, a, for the
1: paracetamol in the I drink? That's a great line, isn't it? Inspiration
0: for the paracetamol in the drink. I think that
1: was actually in the novel, that line. Um, it's definitely Emma. I mean, Emma's really witty. Those one-liners just spill out of her. And, in fact, you know, um, I was... <laughs> You know, it was like, oh, can we go that funny or that broad? No, yeah, always like that. Um, Yeah, she's an amazingly observant person, but also cracks those one-liners all the time. So the paracetamol paracetamol and the now I've got an erection and all of that just comes straight out of her brain.
0: (laughs) Oh, and the 80s porn guy... I didn't know that there was uh, there was an 80s porn thing to <laughs> perform cunnilingus <laughs> with cocaine on your tongue, but is this something that she knew about?
1: Is it uh, That used to be a different line, actually, but I think it didn't really matter what that line was for us. It was more that the two women just got it straight away. Whatever was being said, they just instantly knew what the other was referring to. But he
0: also performed that really well. <laughs> I mean... <laughs>
1: It was very I mean, uncomfortable, you know, that moment. You know, I'd say probably my favourite scene in the movie now. But um, it was... And we did a lot of rehearsal for that scene. And I would say, like, I like sex scenes. I usually like shooting them, rehearse them a lot... ...because I want actors to be very comfortable with them. Um, that was very particular because there's so many props. It's a really difficult scene to shoot. Mm. And there's, like, lots of, you know, modesty things going on. And... Um, but when we shot it, I, it was like the worst day of shoot for me. I just hated everything about that day. Why? I had the Why? horrible time. I felt like I was... You know, it's very intimate, that scene. And the cameras moving around a lot. And we had very little time. And the costumes were taking a lot of time. And the props resetting was taking a lot of time. And we were filming the whole salon scene as well that day. And so it was just a really big day. And I kept... <laughs> and I, I'm really... ...want my actors to feel very comfortable and connected and like I'm with them. Mm. And in that scene I felt like I was behind a camera going like, just go down again, just come up, just, okay, say that again. And then stick your tongue out, like I felt constantly like I was telling them what to do. And, and in fact we had done so much work that they were really, they stayed really brilliant inside the whole thing. But, and I'm sure they would say it was fine but I was like, I was devastated, like oh that was the worst... And then I went into the edit suite and I was like, I know, I like this. Sort of a bit sexy, sort of very awkward.
0: (laughs) Um, Something I I found really interesting with the film was that you weren't shy of the sex scenes and you weren't shy of the female body either. And in a kind of a, I don't know what you call it, a post-weinstein-y like world and we, you know, like, we're now really conscious of the male gaze and the female gaze, etc. Was, was that at play for you when you, when you were working in this territory?
1: Uh, the idea of male gaze and female gaze, not so much when I'm working. I certainly feel that I'm very interested in the characters and in particular the women in the story being the subjects and not the objects... And so I'm interested in looking at them and being able to see their bodies and focus on their bodies without feeling like I'm objectifying them, feeling like I am feeling with them. And weirdly, we had this great reference of the film Call Me By Your Name, um, which is two men. Um, But I felt like in that film, there's an amazing thing where Elio, the character in it, is... The subject of the movie I feel like I'm with him all the time and yet I'm constantly looking at him and his body and I and we talked a lot about that how do how do you do that because mostly on screen I feel like women when we look at their bodies we look in a removed way we're watching them we're seeing them um, for our own pleasure or for someone else's pleasure and how do you feel like you're allowed to look at them but you feel with them and from their point of view. So we just talked loads about that and ev- and all of our decisions were about that. And uh, when you say you talk
0: loads about that, did you talk loads to the actresses about that or was that more about how we shoot and...?
1: I talk loads to everyone about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, like, I write big things out that go out to the cast and the crew that are about the kind of references and the way that I want to work and... Um, I'll raise that up in a rehearsal for sure but mostly it's with the people I'm shooting with so Brian, the cinematographer and the sound guys and um, uh, definitely the cast know that as well but they know less about that. I mean we're mostly talking about what they feel and what they're doing, you know but um, certainly the crew are on team with that all the time And and then the sound guy, you know, the post sound guys and the composers and everybody. It's all about maintaining that. Well, I think you did that really successfully because I felt that they were... Like, I felt really comfortable,
0: look at, you know, like, looking at them and loving them as, as young women and, and women who had a really wonderful relationship with their own sexuality, but it didn't feel... It never felt icky, you know? I, I remember feeling with, like, say, Blue is the Warmest Colour. Mm. Um, that film was so beautiful, and then they had sex... And suddenly there was something else going on and I lost the characters, yeah. I lost the people and suddenly I was a male director watching perving yeah.
1: actually. Yeah, I was for someone else. Yeah. You know, it's like looking at something for yeah. the viewer rather than for the character or feeling what they're feeling.
0: How did you... Um, mm-hmm. I w- how much time have I got? <laughs> Last one. Okay, I'm going to... Does anyone else have a question? Because I can tell... <laughs> Okay, Um, one of the things that, you know, I had to catch myself out actually because there was a point in the movie where I went, this is so great because they're behaving like young men. (laughs) And then I felt like, oh, fuck, that's awful. That's so not the spirit of the film. And then I read this review where they, or was it the book where someone said, it's like a female with nail and eye. So suddenly you're referencing male behaviour. Like, how how do you feel about that? (laughs) Because...
1: everything seems to be referenced through that somehow. Mm. I mean, take it, you know, like, we've got to take it and use it. I mean, you don't want to feel like women are just behaving like men, of course. Mm-hmm. Withnail's a great character, though. I mean, five years ago, I didn't feel like we could have a woman on screen that was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, people find Tyler abrasive, you know, in a way that you, I don't think you find Withnail abrasive. Um, but And also love her, you know... Um, Uh, abrasive is not necessarily bad it's we're still coming out of a period where we want to like women on screen do you know where where that is the most important thing but there's a lot of people challenging that all the time and I think that's interesting because you know we want to be seen as whole multifaceted, nuanced (laughs) creatures you know not sort of powerful strong women because we don't feel like that all the time right so the experience of being a woman ...is multifaceted, Is complicated, it's difficult... ...it doesn't feel easy, you know. Um, And so, yeah, you want your characters to feel that. Um, In terms of behaving like men, I don't know. I mean, we talked about this. It's how do you even judge what that is anymore, do you know? Um, Yes. If it means having sex, taking drugs, becoming a writer, having ambition having desire and not
0: and 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 being on your own at the end that was the other thing I loved about it was that she didn't get you know boy gets you know girl gets boy good girl loses boy good the fact that she was on it I
1: mean that was so simple but actually kind of fantastic for me that was actually the thing about the book when I read the ending I was like yes I would like to do this because the, the end of her being on her own and not choosing either of these ideas that she needed to choose between was was good
0: Okay, we're going to go and continue this conversation somewhere else. Thank you so much for staying, guys. It was uh, really lovely that you hung out with us for another half an hour. And thank you so much, Sophie, for bringing your film to us.
1: Thanks, Thanks, everybody.